morning. Let's praise the Lord this morning. Would you stand to your feet? He is worthy of our praise, and we are going to continue to worship him this morning and welcome him in this place. Welcome him and welcome his presence. He is worthy of all of our praise. Amen? Amen and amen. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. God, we praise you. We lift our voices to you. Without the breath you put in our lungs, we'd have no voice to lift. And so we, we bring this offering to you because of your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness to us in all things, the small things, the big things, everything in between. God, you are faithful. You are Christ, our hope, our everlasting, our goodness. Thank you for the love that you pour out on us today. Thank you for the peace that you blanket us with. And thank you for the privilege of gathering today. We lift our voices to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship him. Destroyed, and we will feast in endless 
joy Christ is ours This is just an attitude of worship. We continue to worship Jesus through an act of sacrificial giving. We give our lives as his gave his. Uh, we are buried with Christ in his likeness and raised to walk in a new life. Amen. And we see that beautiful picture in baptism. And we see that played out in the rest of our life. And so now we just enter a unique time of worship through, through giving. Giving our life, giving our offerings and, and gifts. So let's pray and we'll... Enter a time of worship through giving. Jesus, you're worthy of praise and honor. We, we know that you are our hope. And there's no other hope outside of you, Father. And when we put our faith and our trust in you, you make us new, born again, regenerated, adopted into the family of God, heirs to the throne, ambassadors to the king, Jesus. We get to represent you. What a beautiful gift. We get to exalt your name and make your name famous throughout the entire world. And so with that, Jesus, we ask God you use our resources, our life, our family to position it for your kingdom and show us how to do that very clearly and directly, Jesus. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. There's a couple of ways that you guys can continue to give and you can see that on the online or the screen, if not, there is a way to do that. And also, over at, uh, if you want to give here in present, you can give over here on the side, uh, just as an act of worship. So let's continue to worship. He is faithful and good. Amen. Thank you. 
Father, as we come before you, God, we just praise your name, and we seek your face as we open your word. Now, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and reveal yourself to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Northwest. If you're visiting with us online or you're visiting with us here in the building, we're delighted that you've chosen to be at Northwest Baptist this morning. There were probably hundreds of other places you could have gone, but you've chosen to be with us, and we are so honored and blessed that you're here with us. I want to take a moment to just kind of thank Pastor Rob and, and the pastoral staff, uh, the worship team, Rob and Kyle and Chris and Hope and Mauricio and those that support them. They have done a, a stellar and excellent job of walking us through this time of this pandemic. Can you help me thank them, please? It is such a blessing to be a part of the body of Christ here at Northwest. People who are faithful, people who love being around each other and being with each other, and your presence here today is a testimony uh, of that. I just want you to know how honored I am to have the opportunity to share this morning to be able to preach God's word is no 
higher calling, no greater job than to be entrusted with the Word of God. I'd like you to stand with me and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. The word of God says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you, king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek, what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go, strike Amalek, devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, child, infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people, numbered them in Tilium, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. These are your people. Our hearts are yours. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit might open our eyes, open our ears, and fashion our hearts to receive your word, that we not be hearers only, but doers also of your word for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever disobeyed God? Anybody? As a believer, ever disobey God? Have you ever disobeyed God when you knew what he wanted you to do? Any takers? Have you ever disobeyed God 
when you understood his instructions, you had every intention of doing everything that God told you to do, but somewhere along the way, you made a choice to disobey. I don't know, were you distracted? Was your view distorted? Decide to take a detour? Somewhere along the way, there was a decision to implement an alternative plan. I'm not going to do what God said. I've got a better way of doing this thing. Question is, how did that happen? Now, I'm saying you, but when I say you, I'm talking about me too, okay? I'm in the same club. What happened, Alan? Why or how did you get to the place where you were willing to disobey God, where you knew what he wanted? You had every intention to do it. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 15, by the time we get here, that Saul has developed a pattern of disobedience. This isn't his first rodeo where he has disobeyed God. Saul was the first human king that was over God's people, Israel. Remember, God himself was their first king. But they said, well, we want a king that we can see, that we can touch, we can hang out with. We don't want you to lead us anymore, God. We can't see you. We can't touch you. I mean, you kind of scare us sometimes. And so God said, okay, you can have Saul. And so Saul is the first king of Israel. As the king, Saul had the support of an almighty God. Can you imagine that? God promised him Divine protection, divine direction, and divine provision for whatever he called him to do. Yet Saul developed this pattern of disobedience. I see that this pattern of disobedience with Saul is not unique to him. I find that sometimes I follow the same pattern. So what I want us to do this morning is that we're going to look into God's word in this passage. See if we can identify those places of error. See if we can avoid them. On the road to a we got a wind tunnel right where I'm standing. I'm going to either go forward or back up. I want to come to you, okay? Hey. <laughs> That's why God gave us thumbs. Here we go. <laughs> the first thing we see in this passage in verses 1 through 3 is that there's always one prerequisite to obeying God. Only one from God's perspective. And that only 
prerequisite is clear instruction and direction. God says, all I need to do for you is give you clear instruction and direction as to what I would have you do. God never holds us accountable for something he has not told us to do. He always instructs us clearly. This has been so since the beginning of mankind. Remember in the garden, God told Adam, listen, man, you can do anything you want here. You can eat of all the trees you want here except one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you're going to surely die. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. What a great deal. One rule. Wasn't that pretty clear? Don't eat of this. If you eat it, you die. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Somewhere along the way, Adam got distracted. Eve distorted the message. He decided to take a detour. He ate and death came. Listen to God's instruction to Saul. I've noted in verse 2 what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Go, strike Amalek, devote to destruction all that they have. In other words, wipe this people group off the face of the earth and destroy the Amalekites. This message is delivered by Samuel. Who is Samuel? Samuel is a prophet. He's a bona fide prophet. What that means is that when Samuel speaks, he's just speaking as if God himself has spoken. He is speaking the word of God. And Saul knows that. This comes from God himself. So Samuel delivers that message. Who are these Amalekites? And why does God want to wipe them off the face of the earth in the first place? What did they do to get under God's skin, so to speak? Genesis chapter 6. Verses 6 through 12 tells us that Amalek was Esau's grandson. Jacob, Esau. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Esau's people were called the Edomites. And eventually Amalek's people would be called the Amalekites. In Exodus chapter 17... He gives us the reason why he wants to wipe them out. In verse 8 it says, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And this is the situation where Moses is old and they're fighting the Amalekites, the Israelites. And every time Moses put his hands up, the Israelites would win. Moses put his hand down, they would lose. So Aaron and Hur set Moses on a rock, and they both got under an arm, and they held him up so that Israel could win. We pick up in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a memorial, in a book. Recite it in the ears of Joshua, 
I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So God says, I'm going to wipe them out. Because they had a fight. Now, other nations had attacked Israel. Why didn't God choose to wipe them out? Why is he so mad with Amalek? Genesis, I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. God explains why he wants to wipe these people out. Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember what Amalek did on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. And he cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind. And he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all of your enemies around in the land that the Lord your God has given to you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget this. What's the problem? The Malachites were dirty cowards. Israel is leaving Egyptian bondage. They're not an army. They're just trying to get to the, whole, to the, to the promised land. And what Amalek does is he attacks them from the rear. Well, who's in the rear? Those who are faint, those who are weary, those who are tired. He attacks mothers and their babies. He attacks seniors. He attacks those who can't move so fast. And God says, that's just wrong. You didn't even have the courage to fight our men. Later on in this chapter, we'll find that Amalek, the king, he was prone to kill pregnant women. And so God says, listen, I remember you, and I'm going to wipe you out. That's why God wants to get rid of the Amalekites. But not only that, we find that the Amalekites were a thorn in Israel's side throughout their lives. Numbers 14, 45, after this first battle, we find the Amalekites and the Canaanites attacking Israel. And they beat them that time. They won. In Judges 3.13, the Amalekites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites attacked Israel. Judges 3.13. In Judges 3.6, they come at them again. The Amalekites joined the Midianites and they attack Israel. One chapter over in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 47 and 48. Saul had already had one encounter with these people, the Amalekites. He'd already been to battle with them. So God is, 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 God is really upset with this people group, the Amalekites, and he's going to wipe them out because they're, in his, point, in his mind, were a wicked people. And Saul is charged with carrying out God's promise to get rid of the Amalekites. So beginning in verse 4, we see three things that Saul did that caused him to disobey God. Number one, Saul drowned out or he disregarded the voice of God. Verse 4. Saul summoned the people. Numbered in Metellium, 200,000, the footmen, the 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek. He lay wait in the valley. Then Saul to the, said to the Kenites, 
Go, depart, get down from among these Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. The Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And then he took Agag, the king, alive. Now this first point is implied, but it's a strong implication. Do you think Saul forgot what God told him? He didn't forget it. You don't forget things that God say. You might forget something I say to you. My wife says I forget everything she says to me. <laughs> but but uh, listen, with God's... Is she here? She's here. Okay. I, I need to identify where she is so I can... Catch, there she is. Good. All right. Good, good, good. I'm trying, though. But anyway, he didn't forget. We don't forget when God speaks to us. He prepared to follow through. He numbered the troops. He warned the Kenites. He battled the Amalekites. From Havila to Shur, it's about 30 miles. Now, can you imagine? This is on horseback. He probably had a chariot. He's fighting for 30 miles of battle. Can you hear the voice of God ringing over in his head? Wipe them out. All of them. Spare nothing. No animals, no people. Wipe them out. You need to destroy the Malachites. This is my promise to them. You are carrying it off of me. You need to wipe them out. And you saw him prepared to do that. What happened? At some point, he disregarded the voice of God. And he did not kill the king. That is blatant disobedience. That's what that is. For believers like you and me, that is called quenching the Holy Spirit. Ever quench the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 that we should not quench the Holy Spirit. The word quench means to extinguish, to drown out his voice, to disregard or ignore him. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's there to direct us. He's there to teach us. He's there to guide us into truth. He's there to call the ins and the outs. He's there to prompt us to do what God has called us to do and bring those things to our memory that we are supposed to do. The Holy Spirit is our first line of defense to keep from disobeying God. We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but it's important that we learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Saul didn't listen to the voice. The Holy Spirit always reminds us of the way to escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, That's no temptation taking you. Such is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will always make a way to escape that you can bear it. The Holy Spirit will tell you how to get out of that tough situation if we listen. Stop that. Don't do that. Turn that off. Put that away. Quit looking at that. Leave now. Ever hear any of those voices in your heart? They're not screaming at you. They say, don't do that. 
Stop it. That's the voice of God. That's the Holy Spirit. In order for you to disobey, in order for me to disobey, I have to first disobey the Holy Spirit. The Bible says once we disobey the Holy Spirit, the next thing that we do is we grieve the heart of God. Ephesians 4.30 says don't grieve the heart of God. What do you mean? God is hurt. His heart is hurt. The Spirit of God is grieved in us when we choose to disobey. One biblical example of that, you remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5? They sold some property and they went to Peter and the apostles and said, We're giving you all of the money from the property sale, but they lied. They kept back part of it. You probably have not paid attention to this, but it says in that passage that when they came and talked to Peter, Peter says, it's not important that you lied to me. He didn't even mention himself. What the important thing is that the first thing that you did was you lied to the Holy Spirit. When we sin, believers, the first thing that we do is that we lie or we disregard the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always do his job. He lives in us to direct us. Peter says, it's not about me, man. <laughs> you grieve God. You lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes this is real subtle. Let me tell you how it works in me. It has to do with my tongue. There are times when I'm in conversation with people. And you know, sometimes when people are talking, you're already thinking about what you're going to say next, right? Okay, so I do that too. And while I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, and I've formed it in my mind, something says to me, don't say that. No, they don't need to hear that. Real subtle. And I know that it's telling me, don't say that. But you know, I got some juicy information here. I got some good stuff. I want to say it. And immediately, I'm convicted. Because what I said was not edifying. It did not help the situation. That person did not need to hear what I said. And the Holy Spirit told me to, not to do that. And so right in that moment, I'm having to say, I'm sorry. I'm going to try it again. You ever struggle with stuff like that? Sometimes it's just that small. Listening to the Holy Spirit. First hindrance to obedience. Quenching the Holy Spirit. In Psalms, since the Holy Spirit did not indwell the Old Testament believer, he didn't listen to his conscious voice. Sometimes the Holy Spirit came upon people to accomplish great tasks, but we know Saul did not forget what God said. And the Holy Spirit will not let you forget and will not let me forget what God has said. He won't do it. Hindrance number two. Saul redefined or he modified the truth. Verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted cows and the lambs 
and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. What's wrong with that statement? Saul decided that something God said was bad was good. How much of the people and the stuff that God said was bad? How much? Everybody agrees, all of it. Somewhere along the way, Saul got there and said, man, look at that little king. Ain't nothing wrong with him. I'm keeping him. That's you. I mean, that's some bad sheep, but that one looked pretty good. Why are we going to get rid of that one? Oh, that looks like a pretty good ox to me. We'll keep that one too. God said everything was bad. Don't remember. Don't forget. We don't get to decide what is good and bad and right and wrong. Get that? That's not our decision. God decides what is good or bad. God decides what is right or wrong, and he calls us to get on board. It's just that simple. We don't get to make that decision. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 tells us why, because God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you get it? I'm God. I'm infinite. You're finite. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. What God says is that I know more than you and I know better than you, okay? <laughs> and I'm God. We don't get to decide right and wrong. You know, Eve kind of made the same mistake. She redefined the truth. Have you ever seen it in Genesis? God said, don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 17. The devil asked Eve in, in Genesis 3, what did God say? She said, God said, do not eat it and don't what? Touch it. Oh, did God say don't touch it? He just said don't eat it. So she's already modifying God's word. That kind of stuff will get you in trouble. I don't know if this happened, but I kind of think about it like this. You've been there before where you know you, you're not supposed to do something, and you go kind of halfway and you do just a little part of it, and then you say, I'm gone this far, I might as well just go all the way. And you finish the sin. Well, God told me not to touch it. Man, I messed up. I already messed up. It looks good. Pleasant to the eyes. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to taste good. I'm just going to eat me some of this stuff right now. I've already jumped over the line. That's what happens when we modify the truth. Think about how the world is calling you and me to modify God's truth today. I asked a few people about this. One of the first things that came up that was, I was reminded of is that the world pushes us and the culture pushes us to say that truth is relevant. That there's no absolute truth. Young people, when you get to college, that's what they're going to tell you. There's no absolute truth. 
The word right now is that it's my truth. That's your truth. Everybody's living their truth. But I tell you what, the word of God says there's only one truth. It's God's truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. The word of God is morally absolute and it does not change based upon your situation. But the world would have you believe that this is relevant. First Timothy said that the word of God is inerrant. It is infallible. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. That's the word of God. It'll get you to where you need to go. It'll tell you when you're wrong. It'll tell you how to get back on the right track. And it doesn't change. The word of God is more reliable than what you see with your eyes and what you hear with your ears. Where did you get that from? Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Peter says, I was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and I saw it transfigured before me. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, right before me. And I heard this voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I saw this, and I heard this. But then he goes on to say, listen, there is something more sure than what you saw and what you heard. The word of God. More trustworthy than your eyes and your ears is the book. It doesn't change. Not one jot or tittle will change. God is faithful. He keeps his word. And Peter's saying, listen, I know what I heard and I know what I saw, I saw, but I can't depend upon that. You need to depend upon the word of God. The hardest thing to do is to change people's opinion of their experience. Even if their experience is not biblical, they want to go with their experience. God said the word of God is greater than your experience. What about the plan of salvation? The culture says, listen, matter of fact, I had this conversation a couple weeks ago when I was in the Holy Land in Austin and, uh, this guy who uh, <laughs> thought he was a Christian, he must have been from Oklahoma. I don't know. I was there to, at the missionary to help him. But nevertheless, <laughs> we were having this conversation. Now, really, he professes to be a Christian. He says, ain't no way in the world that a God this big and a world this big would only have one way to him. I said, man, that ain't biblical. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's one mediator between God and man. Here's the man, Christ Jesus. This is a testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. These things are right to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son to whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever then shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One way. Not many ways. That messed me up in college. I took philosophy 101 from a prominent minister in the community. A doctor, I'm not going to call his name. He taught existentialism, dualism, pragmatism, Taoism, Buddhism, all of the 
religious with the isms. He taught me all of those things. He never said one thing about Jesus. I can't figure out today how he can believe what he said he believed by his title, Reverend So-and-So, and not tell me about Jesus. I left philosophy one-on-one, -on -one, totally confused. I lost every faith that I thought I had. I didn't know if God was real. He messed me up. So I'm praying this prayer. God, if you're real, I want to know you, but I don't know. I'm confused now. Because all of these systems prof profess to be the way they do. I, I don't want to get involved in no stupid stuff. I want to be a part of a cult. But if you're real, I want to know you. One way, simple way, God's way. We don't get to modify the plan of God. It's God's plan. We follow it. I'm so glad so many young people are here this morning. I thank God for you because the world will tell you it is 2020. You need to party hard. Don't be such an old fogey. You know, ain't nothing wrong with getting high. Ain't nothing wrong with having a little alcohol. Get wasted. That's what we do at college. We get wasted on the weekend. The word of God says you need to avoid drunkenness. Ephesians 5 says, you should not be under the influence of artificial stimulants, but be under the influence and the control of the Spirit of God. When we get drunk and when we get high, we're no longer in control. He says, if you want to be under control, be under control of the Spirit of God. God says, you're not missing anything by getting drunk. Okay? You're not missing anything by getting high. All you're missing out on is trouble. You want some trouble? Go get high. You want some trouble? Go get drunk. Some kind of way, trouble just finds people that are high and are, are under the influence. It finds them. The world will tell you, explore sexual experiences before marriage. It's 2020 now. We're free. God calls that experience prior to marriage fornication, immorality. It is one of the very few things in the word of God that he says, when you do that, you sin against your own body. Can you imagine that? Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It is one of the very few things in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20, where he says, run from this stuff. Flee sexual immorality. He says, if this is presented to you, don't play with it. You need to run. I mean, run fast. One of the other things in, 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 in uh, modifying the truth for us, especially those in the dating world, it's okay to be in a relationship with an unbeliever. And how do we justify that? Because we love them. I love them. Okay. God said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? Because in order for you to be in a relationship with an unbeliever, you're going to have to compromise. Why is that? 
Because the unbeliever can never live up to the standards of God that you have been called to live up to. And the only way that this is going to work is you have to go down to that level. He says, it's like trying to mix light with darkness. It just won't work. One of them has to go. And what happens is that you put out your light to accommodate the darkness. Well, the world has been telling us since the 70s that it's okay to take innocent lives in the womb. Abortion. I mean, these people are so grotesque that they, they say it's okay to take life as, as, I mean, up to the point of partial birth. Partial birth. Just don't let it come completely out of the womb. Just kill it before then. It's still. It's only... Uh, alive when it's out and living. God says life begins in the womb, that conception, Psalm 139. And we don't have the right to take it. Well, I would be remiss not to mention these two, and then we'll finish up. Same-sex relationships. Nothing... It's pressed upon us to modify God's word right now than to modify our view on this topic. Same-sex relationship. God said in Leviticus 18, man should not lie with the man as he lies with the woman. Leviticus 20, 13. Listen, this is a hard thing, but God said that this type of behavior is abominable. He says, people that do these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is hard. I work in psychiatry on Fridays, and one of the young PAs came up to me uh, Friday. And we weren't talking about my message or anything, but some kind of way the subject came up. And she came to me after talking said, so what are you going to do if your son comes and tells you he's in a relationship like that? Good question. Verified I'm on the right topic today. I said I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to speak the truth and love. My first words out of my mouth to my son would be I love you and I care about you and I want what's best for you. But then I'm going to tell him the truth. God says that's not right and I don't support you in it. It's tough. Truth. We're to speak the truth in love. Truth without love is harsh, demeaning, degrading, condescending, and it hurts people. We're not to do that. However, Love without truth is no love at all. You get it? Love without truth is not love. Let's say Brother Paul and Miss Frieda are coming down my street walking like they do every day in their neighborhood, having their walk. And I know that anybody that passed my house has fallen into this big hole and no one has ever come back. And they come by my house and they're going, I say, 
Brother Paul, Miss Frida, how y'all doing? Love you. Have a good day. What is he thinking when they're falling in that hole? <laughs> Ain't no love at all. Man, you should have told me. Now, if I say, but Paul, I really care about you, brother. No one has ever come back and fallen into that hole that's going past my house. I wish he wouldn't go. When he's falling in the hole now, he knows that it was his choice. But I loved him enough to tell him. Listen, God calls us to do a hard thing when he calls us to do that. Just like he calls Saul to do a hard thing. It was not easy to have to kill all of those people, I can't imagine. But just because something is hard does not give us the, the right to modify the truth. What we need to pray for is courage to stand for righteousness and stand for truth and speak the truth in love. God's word has not changed on these subjects, and it's hard. I have people in my family that I have to talk to about these things. It's not easy. Daniel, we want to change your name. That's okay. I can't control who you call me or what you call me. Daniel, uh, we want to educate you. That's okay. As long as I sift education through the word of God, that's okay. Daniel, I want to change your lifestyle. Oh, can't do that. Why? Because God said, I can't eat that stuff. Come on, man, that's silly. Ain't nothing wrong with that food. No, God said, I can't eat that stuff. You could lose your life. God said it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, you need to bow down when you hear the sound of the, of the orchestra and, and worship the idol. Well, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to give you one more chance. If you do it, I'm going to throw you in this furnace. That's okay. God is able to deliver me. And if he doesn't, I can't modify the word of God, okay? The word of God said I'm not to bow down. I ain't going to do it. Daniel... Listen, we put out a decree that you should not be praying to anybody other than the king for 30 days. Listen. And if you do that, we're going to have to throw you in the lion's den. Uh, can you show me how to get there? We're going to the lion's den. Why? Because if you stay here long enough, you're going to watch me pray to my God, okay? I'm going to be praying. See, what we need today is courage. See, we need courage. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that he talked about the arm of God. Pray for me that I will have the courage to open my mouth. Pray for me. Even Paul said I need help. God help us. To have courage. I'm going to go quickly to the end. I know we only did nine verses, but we're going to read the rest of it, okay? Drown out the Holy Spirit. Redefine the truth will always lead to sin. Unconfessed sin leads to more lies and more sin. Verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me. Has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and he turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul 
Now, look what Saul said. Saul said to him, blessed you to the Lord. Like, bless the Lord, brother. Here we go. Uh, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. That's a lie. That was his first opportunity to confess that sin and get it right. He didn't. Samuel said, well, can you explain the bleeding of these sheep in my ears and the lowing of these ox that I hear? Saul said, they brought them from the Amalekites. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the ox to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. We see something about Saul's leadership skills here. Good leaders, when things go wrong, they take responsibility and they cover their people. Poor leaders. Everything that was done wrong, they did it. Everything that was done right, I did it. You see that? Saul threw the people under the bus because he wouldn't confess his sin. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop! I've had enough of this. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me. Samuel said, though you were little in your own eyes, you were the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction. The sinners of the Amalekites fight against them until they are consumed. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Another chance, he blew it. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag the king, though, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But here we go. The people took the spoils, the oxen, the best of the sheep. Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than fat of ram. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, that is witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. What God says is that I'd rather you do what I tell you to do than come up with some great plan to try to please me. Only thing that pleases me is obedience. I learned a song in the bus ministry. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately, and joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Now say it, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Partial obedience equals total disobedience. And then lastly, verse 24, drawn out the Holy Spirit, redefine the truth. And then he said, this is what really happened. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You ever not done what God told you to do because you were scared of what the people were going to say? What they were going to think about what you did? 
He says, I feared the people. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man brings a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Romans 8, 31, as God is for us, who can be against us? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Evil company and acquaintances corrupt good morals. Young people, statistics say one of the greatest determiners of what you're going to be when you grow up is the people that you choose to hang out with. Choose your friends well. Peer pressure will cause you to make some bad, bad, bad decisions. Fearing people leads to bad decisions. I think what to do what Peter said in Acts chapter 5, 29, when he told him you can't speak in the name of Jesus, he said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The price for sin or disobedience is quite high. The end of verse 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Always consequences. No one gets away with disobeying God. Three things be aware of. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't redefine the truth. Don't give in to the fear of man. Choose your peers well. Question. Is God telling you to do something? Has God told you to do something? Take a stand. Give your life to Christ. Choose different friends. Break off that unequal yoke relationship in business or romance. Restore that broken relationship. Preach the gospel. Go on missions. Stop this. Start that. You fill in the blank. What is God telling you to do? Don't delay. Consequences are great for disobeying God. You know the chorus. Sing it with me. We should trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Let's give God just praise, Father, for the, the word that's being taught to us. Thank you, Alan. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and uh, the Lord's been speaking to you and you feel that the Spirit's call, calling you to make a response, uh, a couple things you can do on the screen and online. You can text that number and one of our pastoral team members will get a hold of you and love to counsel, talk, and pray for you. Uh, we'll be around front as well as we dismiss if you want someone to speak to. So uh, please uh, be obedient to the things that you're called to do. Amen. Uh, a couple things. Uh, there's some big, uh, big movements that are happening around Northwest. As we look into the fall and look to 2021, uh, the Northwest staff and many other leadership members have been praying faithfully about what are we to do in response to this season. And, and our desire isn't to be reactive, but very proactive. And with that, we have a very important Northwest family meeting this Wednesday 
at 6.30 right here. So if you're wanting to be a part of what God's going to be doing this fall for the whole rest of the year uh, and hear about what God is going to do in the ministry and what that's going to look like and and all of that, uh, be here Wednesday night at 6.30 and then we'll be providing that online as well. So if you can't be here, you're working, whatever, uh, tune in on Facebook. We'll be streaming that as well. But we want everybody to be a part of that because it's a big announcement on the things that we're going to be shaping moving into the rest of the year. Also, uh, next Sunday, there'll be two other meetings right here as well. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is, is we've, you know, obviously been... Uh, having to postpone and move a lot of our mission engagements. We had eight different mission trips that we had scheduled and planned that were going to be going all over the world. Uh, and so we still want to be on mission as a church. And so we're still going to do Mission OKC. And that's going to happen this fall. But we want to let you guys know, if you want to be a part of that, maybe you were a team leader last week or last year, maybe a project coordinator, or you, want, you just want to know more about Mission OKC. And we're going to have a meeting right after the worship service a week from today. So lots of meetings, right? So this Wednesday, Northwest Family Ministry Meeting. Next Sunday after worship, there'll be a Mission OKC meeting. And then finally, one more meeting, because we got to have meetings, right? we got to gather, no more Zoom. But uh, we're going to have a Northwest Family Ministry Children and Youth uh, meeting that evening, Sunday night. So lots of happen, not, not a lot of movement that's coming. School's about to start. Uh, God's going to continue to do a work through Northwest. And so we want to let you guys know what that's going to look like. There'll be some reshaping. Uh, casting vision, I know for Hope and I, we've been really working diligently on what is ministry going to look like in this season of, over the next several months. And so we want to share that with you. Uh, so those are th three different meetings, right? So we have the whole church meeting, Wednesday, Mission OKC after church, and then that evening, next Sunday night, is uh, our children and youth. And so we're going to share about a lot of things that we're going to be doing. And we're very excited about moving forward. And I hope you are too. Let's do this. Let's stand and we're going to pray and you're going to be sent out uh, into the harvest field after I pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that we continue to be about your work. Regardless of what uh, happens around us in our culture, in our environment, Lord, we know that you're king. You're king of our heart. You're king of our circumstances. You're king of our culture. And so we also recognize that you're king of our church. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we'll be a people who recognize that, live that way. And Lord, as a charge, as a response to the sermon this morning uh, from your word, I, I pray that we'll be a people who are obedient to the call that you've given us, not distorting your truth, but being willing to walk with uh, a heart that's brave and courageous, Jesus. And we pray in the name of Jesus for a spirit of courage to do the things you've called us to do and allow that courage to compel us to love people like you do. Allow the love of Christ that dwells in us richly compel us past our fear in order to love people as you do, Jesus. And may we be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within us with gentleness and patience. We worship you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You are sent. Thank you for being here.